Hey, welcome to Guitar Knobs, the guitars, gear, noise, and nonsense podcast hosted today by these knobs. Tony Dudzik, Pick Guardian. Rob Chafe, Mad Cow Amplification. All right. We, we were hoping that, you know, normally we've got Jared Brandon right there. Uh, yep. He's he's out. He's in the process of moving to Tennessee to Gibson. Um, so he won't be with us tonight. Um, but yeah, we've got Rob Chafe, Mad Cow Amplification sitting with us again. He came back again, which is great. And we'll trick him into it next time again. Well, and, you uh, do have him chained to the floor. <laughs> true, true. Uh, hey, everybody. It's Todd Novak. Welcome to the Guitar Knobs Podcast. We are thrilled to death that you are listening to <laughs> our show as per usual. And if it's not per usual, maybe this is your first time. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're really glad that you're listening um, because we have a fantastic show. We've got uh, someone who is steeped steeped Ooh. in the YouTube uh, lesson world and all kinds of other guitar community world. Person, who are you? My name is Steve Stein. That's right. And uh, no doubt, if you've been on YouTube for any reason, if you've typed in the word guitar, I can almost guarantee you, you've seen him pop up and you say, man, look at that hair. Wow. <laughs> I thought it was the smile, but maybe and it is the, the smile hair. and the, and the chops and the everything. Um, the package yeah. total. Yes, indeed. Uh, Steve is, uh, is an esteemed, uh, I guess you could say teacher instructor. What would you call yourself? Yeah, I, I I call myself an instructor. I actually started calling myself a guitar motivator because I always think... Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah, half the battle is trying to get people excited about playing and practicing. Yes, practicing, yes. Playing yeah. playing's the... <laughs> Playing what you get excited about, but then when you got to practice, that's another story. <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna find out uh, all about Steve's backstory, and you know he's helped out a ton of musicians. Uh, ho- hopefully, many of you out there. And if you are not familiar, boy oh boy, uh, or do you have a great new resource? So we're gonna get into Steve's world real soon. Um, so welcome, Steve. And then uh, we got a couple of announcements real quick. Road Mics. We need to thank Road Mics for supporting our show with these with these <laughs> awesome pieces of equipment. We've got the Rodecaster Pro in front of me. Yummy. The Darth Vader of of input boxes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's and, got lots of different colored push yeah, buttons. And the uh, the Procaster mic and the articulating arms. The and, roadticulators. Sure. Thanks, Tony. Uh, so we want to shout a big shout to Rode for helping us out throughout the years. Uh, they've been really great to and us. And this is a great piece of gear, all this stuff t- together. Yeah, and it's not just for, for podcasting. They make it... Yeah. If you need a mic, they got the mics, so go check them out. Yep. Uh, also, I wanted to call out, uh, we get a lot of great messages and mail from everybody, and I just wanted to share one. This came from... A one of our Poobah level supporters Ooh. on Patreon, and this is from Mal Sanders. Yes, one of the questions that I ask new people that come on is, you know, so hey, why did you choose to support us? Mal says this. Okay, so why did I choose to support? He just answered my. It's like he's right here for a couple <laughs> of reasons: to join and be part of the guitar community, and because you support small builders. My full-time job is leading a digital, prod- digital product team, and I've played guitar on and off for 20 years. Last year, I started learning to build pedals as a hobby, but with a view to sell them as well. 
I'm focusing on Dan Arbach's go-to fuzzes, and my first prototype is nearly built. Very exciting. Uh, I added that in. He didn't say that. <laughs> I learn a lot from you guys, but also love the authenticity of the guests and how they approach building as well. My main rig is a 1996 USA Strat and a Revolta Mondata mm. with the three mini humbuckers. I have that going into a Mesa 2x12 Lone Star from back when I was playing tons of pub band mm. gigs here in Australia. hey oh, he's from Australia. I don't have anything else to go like. Is it yeah, microphones from Australia? They are, so he's he should be very familiar. I know that's my That was terrible. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> His main pedals are a hot or a hoof. So that's the uh Earthquaker hoof. Uh the soloist, uh Greer Lightspeed, the Empress tape delay, and a JHS Kodiak trim. Nice. Hmm. I'm a big fan of Stevie Ravon, the Black Keys, Gary Clark Jr., and Greta Van Fleet. Well, thank you so much, Mouse Sanders, for, sh for sharing a glimpse into your guitar world. That's cool. We love hearing that from people. And please continue to send those in. We get lots of them. We love it. And that's, that's the announcement. <laughs> that's all I got to and say about all. that. <laughs> um, also, actually, I do have one more, which is we got even a, a Jared and I were talking, and we actually have a couple more really great things. So I think we're going to do um, an, uh, one, another episode with Rob. Where kind of like what we did Nobody with Jared. Asked me. <laughs> well, we're gonna do it. It'll be great. Um, okay. Well, uh, Steve, hey, what, what, you'll get the same pay every time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what we did recently with Jared as the resident pickup expert is that we asked uh, all of our listeners to uh, send yeah. in questions and yeah. just say like, you know, w ask us anything about pickups. Actually, ask Jared about anything about pickups, and we had some fantastic questions. And amps is one of those things that I, you know. People have loads of questions about amps and lots of questions. We yeah. got the guy to answer them. So very excited about that. And you should be too, since now you are committed to doing it. Okay. <laughs> I, I want to, I want him to focus on PV amps. Nothing hey, but PVs. No problem. I can do that. We can do that. <laughs> no problem. We can do that. Yeah. Uh, Steve, how many PVs do you own? Uh, let's see here. Mm. None. None is, uh, none is okay. <laughs> none is still a number. I have one for nostalgic purposes. I like how he paused like he was looking around the room. <laughs> uh, yeah. Everybody at some point in their life had a PV bandit. I feel like that's the case. Well, that is true. I did have a couple of different PV amps when I was younger, but nothing now. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So let's get into what's going on in our music world this week. Uh, Tony's going to start the dance and then we're going to check out what Steve has going on. Mm, what's Go ahead, Tony. What style of music are we doing today? Just do the thing. Uh, uh, can we do a I'm rumba? not paying extra. You're on the clock, buddy. Go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Jeez, I feel like I'm under pressure now. Stop looking uh, down on me. <laughs> you think uh, you're better anyways, than me. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> um, I'm distracting him. Sorry. Yes. So, well, this week, um, I, I was busy. I think the last time we got together, we were talking a little bit about uh, instrument insurance. Uh, or yes. collection insurance. And in so I am getting some final bids from a couple of sources. And uh, I am in the process of photographing and opening cases that haven't been opened for, <laughs> oh, uh, maybe over a year or two. And uh, I thought you were going to say like 15 or 20 or something. No, no, I don't. I, I try to open them at least once a year or so. 
Oh um, yeah, but Ooh, big, big give, tears over give here. More attention than that. Once a year. <laughs> Once a oh, year is fine. I feel no. so sorry for you, Tony. So, but no. So, but it's kind of fun. We're kind of rediscovering some things that. Oh, mm-hmm. I, oh, I forgot I had that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and then seeing the, you know changes and things that I've done to it. So that that's kind of been what you know in my spare time. Uh, I'm just you know going through opening right. cases, photographing, and uh, for Steve's edification, I don't know if you heard about this, Steve, but the yeah. So the story was uh, there was a gentleman out in um, in um, in California that had his entire collection of guitars and amps. Uh, stolen from a, I mean, part of the blame is on him is on one of those self storage places, right? Um, which with a is master lock on the door. With a master lock on the door. <laughs> oh my yes. goodness! And uh, and you know some of his things started showing up at various places, uh, and they've recovered like seventeen, but he had. 80 or 90 guitars and uh, 30 or 40 amplifiers and all kinds of stuff. And I mean, it was, it's, we kind of calculated it to be about close to maybe a half a million dollars worth of stuff. Because yeah. so we was, don't really know what was in there. We're just guessing if a lot of it was vintage, right? Well, no, I, there, there's a list published. Too, oh, there the is. Stuff out there. And a lot of it is, you oh, know, we should do the math. Custom color uh, fenders. And, you should do the math. And I'm not touching like that. that. <laughs> but it's it's kind of a sad story, and that prompted me to start, first of all, calling my insurance company to see what is covered under my homeowners, which, of course, isn't much. And uh, they, my insurance company actually suggested, you know, there are you know, uh, at least three or four companies that that's their specialty is they, they uh, for traveling musicians, they insure collections or t- uh, touring gear and that sort of thing. So, uh, So that's what I've been doing. But it's fun to rediscover sometimes. I mean, I've got a you know a hard list of everything that I've got. But you know, to, when you actually open yeah, up the cases and, and plug it in, and plug it in, and say, oh yeah, strum on it. And you're yeah. like, oh yeah, why did, why has this been in the case for a year? Yeah, yeah. exactly. And now, why are these strings all black now? Yeah, black, <laughs> and probably like deep red. <laughs> so that's what I've been doing. Awesome, Steve Stein. What's going on in your music world this week? Oh. Doing what I usually do, I go live quite a bit, make a lot of content. Um, I'm actually working on, ever since COVID hit, I was doing a lot of these sort of remote jams where I would get musicians from wherever in the world together. And then I would, you know, they would send me their tracks that I would mix and, and master the audio and then the video. And I'm sitting on, I think about eight or nine tracks yet that are videos that'll be coming out. So this week I was doing some mixing of a couple of those songs as well. So Nice. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure, yeah, as we mentioned, quite a busy chap. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Are you sure you yeah. know how to work that? That, that vi- was said with resolve. <laughs> that, that video equipment, I mean, I, I, I know you seem like you may not have much video experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I spend I spend quite a quite a few hours a day with, with video equipment, that's for sure. Yeah, I can imagine. Awesome. Rob, how about yourself? Yeah, so I've got... Uh, handful of guitars are used to test amps your stereotypical tele strat uh les paul and then a sg with p90s anyways all different pickups i've had uh all of them i've switched the uh, volume knobs actually all the pots sorry not the knobs but pots over to mojo tone um i think they call them vintage taper or something Hmm. Uh, but anyways i like i prefer the taper and the build they're really smooth and just really great pots but point of this story is i have not put on a treble bleed on any of those guitars because i want to be very traditional so mm-hmm. the less ball is the 500k pots the correct value caps but no extras mm-hmm. and i finally broke down and put a treble bleed on 
one of the pots of my SG and holy crap, why haven't I done this years ago? What a difference mm. having that treble bleed cap and resistor network on there. So I'm, that's my week is when I get time, I squeeze one in and adding those to all those guitars now. On both the, on both the bridge and neck pickups? Both of them. Yep. Both of them. It is such a difference. I mean, the, the SG, I, I'd roll it from 10 to 9, and it, all the high end would drop off the cliff and yada yada. And as soon as I put that cap and resistor on there, just beautiful again. So, I yeah, I've done it to the SG and the Les Paul, and i got to do the Strat and the Tele. So. Nice. Yeah. That's an outstanding story, Rob. It's much overdue. Thank you. For, thank you for sharing. Um, How about you, Todd? What's new in your music well, world this week? Oh, let me tell you, people. So uh, I've been doing the, these little, you know, demos as a. I hesitate even saying the word demo because it's they're demos. It's loaded because there's so many amazing demo people out there, and I determined to just say, you know what? I've got a minute. What can I cram in a minute? So that is the one minute wonder. I've been recording those with a uh, Sure SM57, and it has been the whole time. I'm like, this kind of doesn't sound like how I, my ears are hearing it. Uh, but you know, this is the go-to derp 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 derp. And uh, yep. Rob and I were talking, and he said, "Hey, have you ever tried the uh, Sennheiser E906, which is a pretty familiar?" microphone to a lot of people you've probably seen it um and many many yeah a lot of demo I, videos i've seen it popping it's got up the little a lot e on, demos, on the yeah. front and a little square thing anyway so he let me borrow that i listened to my playback for i don't know maybe 10 seconds <laughs> and i was like okay <laughs> and uh hit sweetwater immediately and uh, i was happy because it, it didn't break the bank what is the cost oh i think it was a I think it was a buck twenty-five. No. Yeah. Did you buy the right one? That's, <laughs> yeah. the, that's nine oh six, not the six oh nine. The six oh nine sub hundred. Really? Yes. They should quit making that one, by the way. But yeah, we talked about that. Uh, anyway, so I was really happy, and what the difference is in layman's terms? Wow, which you're right. One twenty-nine ninety-five. Yeah, Holy. I'm right about some things. Wow, that's a that's cheaper than it used to be. That's fantastic. Yeah, lucky for me. Not so much for you. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> anyways, it just, it, it gave a much better range. Um, now the, the, the 57 gives a, a really nice mid punch. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, a lot of these videos are, are being viewed on, on phones and, and everything else. It just gave a, a greater range of sound, a much more dynamic range. So, I am thrilled to death to make the next one and actually hear it the way that my ears hear it. Nice. So, yeah. And uh, so that's that's what I did in my music world this week. So thank you, Rob, for that great Absolutely. suggestion. Yep. And if any of you are sitting there going, hey, that sounds pretty good. Actually, Rob, you're telling me that you take yours to the gigs. I, oh, yeah. After this, I'm definitely taking mine oh, yeah. and replacing it. No, yeah, that's what the, I, I've, got, I've got. Actually, I've got three of them. And um, yeah, I've always got one in my gear bag. And I don't question what you do is you show up to the gig and you just pull it out and you go, you know, uh, where's the stand for this? Don't ask if you can use it. Just tell them. Yeah. yeah that's what I do. You know? and, but yeah, cause you know, you spend all that time dialing your tone just the way you want it well, and the pedals and everything. The speaker. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> but, uh, but then, you know, you leave it to the sound guy to put whatever <laughs> microphone. Yeah. Wherever. And, and likewise, I've got the mic uh, cabinet marked with tape too. Yeah. Of where exactly. 
Steve, you know? do you have any? Uh, do you have, do you have like a go to for? Um, I guess maybe what we could call easy recording or easy sound. Like in the studio, do you mean? Well, without without like hardcore studio gear, you know, thousands and thousands. Oh of dollars goodness, mice. no. No, I no no no. Well, what I do for a living, basically, most of my stuff is running direct. I yeah. I have found my life is a whole lot easier if I don't have to mic things. So I mm. tend to use the camper a lot. Mm. I use a lot of plugins, things like that, for yeah. the videos that I do. So my my thing is pretty plug and play. When I show up for work and I want to record, I don't want to spend an hour trying to find the right mic placement. I just I just kind of oh. like my life. It's just I keep things pretty easy. Yeah. Well, you've been doing it long enough. I suspect. Yeah. That uh, you know, the the le the path of least resistance is the one that <laughs> is best. Yeah, that's exactly it. Especially if you're feeling inspired, it's just easier to to get things going and lay down whatever it is that you're you're recording for that day. So that's yeah. what I tend to do. Awesome, cool. Yeah. Hey, Todd. Yes, Tony. I'm told that Tour you... Tour Gear Designs patch cables. That was the answer you were looking for. <laughs> I strongly... You interrupted me. Okay, what were you going to ask me? Nothing. Okay, that's what I thought. Uh, but I am curious about the Tour Gear Designs patch cables. Well, you should be because they're awesome. They are, in, in our opinion, the best ones out there for your pedal needs. Mm. Based on the very small and low-profile um, cap on the jack plug it's very small it is like the size of the of the actual jack jack plug itself I yes mean, it's it so and i'm told the cables are very flat the cables are remarkably flat and indeed and a ton of different lengths that's one of the hardest things when you go get patch cables they're not in as varied lengths as maybe you'd like them to be they've got i think about 12 different size 12 different sizes in length i could be wrong i need i need to double check that. i keep adding new ones yeah but i think the biggest one is like two feet that's a big and it's a seal that, it's that's a, a that's sealed a mighty, end that's a that's a mighty large pedal board uh well i have one running underneath from like the, if you go top left over to the to the or sorry top right over to the left then you got a zigzag down uh, that's where i run mine um so anyways extremely handy and extremely cost effective the smallest one they have which is three inches is sub six dollars this is a sealed patch cable. Yeah. No problems. So make sure you go to tourgeardesigns.com forward slash discount forward slash the guitar knobs. You're going to save 10% off your order. Not the one cable because I know you're going to get more. Just it's order a bunch. Happen. Just order a bunch of them. Anyways, thank you so much to Tour Gear Designs for making an awesome product and for sponsoring our four on the floor. How about some of these? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's that's a contender. One, two, one, two, three, four on the floor. All right, Steve Stein, we cannot wait any longer. What are your four on the floor? Okay, I'm going to go with the ones that I keep on a small pedal board that I bring with me. The first one is the Strymon Big Sky. Mm -hmm. And the second one is no, going to no, be... No, 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 no. Just wait a second, Not Steve. so fast. <laughs> what do you think this is? <laughs> this is this is this is not the Indy 500. Yeah, we we don't you don't listen to this, you know, in in, in the bathroom break for Pete's sake. We, we, we. You got to go into detail. Tell us what you like. 
why, why the big sky? Well, the big thing is, is for me, most of the time, I don't use a lot of effects or anything. And so what's nice is to have something where I have a decent plate and a decent spring option. So I just load those into my first couple of banks. And um, for me, my reverbs tend to be really low. You know, I'll run them usually about 15, 20%. Ah. And even, even for my solos and things like that, I don't, I've never been much of a of an effects guy, so I, I tend to run that a bit low. But that's my big thing is it's just having something where I have a, a really good plate and a really good spring available. I'm with you on that. I run a reverb barely even on just to give it that little bit of air, like, you know? Yep. <sighs> Ambience? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, more air, really. What is, okay. what is the, what's the, the reverb, the, the TC Electronics one that has the tone print? Oh, Hall, Hall of Fame. Fame. There you go. See, I used to use that and I really liked it, but I liked the ability of being able to have both of those, the plate and the spring available just at will without having to yep. switch things, you know? Yep. Well, and I mean, the Strymon has been mentioned many, many, many yeah. times uh, for good reason, you know? Right. And probably like yourself, I think the overwhelming majority have never gotten past like three settings or something yeah. like that. I have yeah. 192 <laughs> settings, but I just use of, these three. Reverb, yeah. yeah. That's, that's me too. But it sounds yeah. great. That's the well, big that's thing. Well, that's the thing is, yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, uh, uh, lately I've been kind of looking into the possibility of getting, I think Keeley's got one that's a, a delay and a reverb in the same pedal. Caverns. I have there that. There you yeah, go. That's, that's the one. It sounds I haven't, great. I haven't, yeah, I haven't checked it out yet, but I really would like to look at that one too. So uh, the older I get, the less I like to haul anything around. So, the less pedals I have, you know, a two twelve versus two four twelves, mm. and you know, back in the day when I used to do the rock star thing, I don't do that as much anymore. So, mm. well, that is a good selection. What do you got for number two? Well, it's going to be another Strymon. It's going to be the timeline. Mm. So, that's yep. one of the other ones that I mentioned yep. many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So for me, that like the ice delay, I really like the dual delay. I use all the time. Um, the ducking capability, which again, I know Keeley's got that as well, but I really like that for can different you, solos that I use. Can you explain the ducking for those that may not be familiar with that? Sure. Basically what ducking is, is that when you're, when you've got it, um, uh, active and you're playing, it keeps the signal of the delay out of the way until it realizes that you're not playing anymore. And then the volume comes up again. So, aha, see, Everybody, hopefully somebody learned that right there. And if everybody already knew that, well, there you go. <laughs> it's affirmed. <laughs> yeah. How about and number for, three? Okay, so number three would be, this is the pedal I would take if I was traveling. I'd, I'd bring the Rev G3. Mm. Hmm. So for me, because I play in a lot, a lot of hard rock and things like that, it's nice to have that ped pedal available if I have to play in somebody else's rig that I'm not familiar with. And, uh, you know, maybe they don't have enough gain or something like I'm comfortable with for whatever it is I'm doing. Um, I tend to use that G3 for that. So is the G3, is it uh, like a TS9 kind of thing or a clone? Yeah, it, it would be more like a TS9, but it would have uh, a lot more gain capability than that. Cool. Is it like just a single tone knob or two band yep. EQ or cool? Yep. It's just single. Yep. Okay. So, yep. Well, how about the uh, number four? So my fourth one would definitely be the Morley Bad Horsey, the the first version of that that doesn't have the buttons or anything. It's just you push it, it comes on, you let it go, it shuts it itself off. So 
Now, what about uh, what about the bad horsey? Uh, uh, beyond maybe what you just said, I mean, there's a load of wah pedals out there. Okay. Well, the big thing for me is that it's got a really wide wah, and what I tend to do, I, I don't use a wah a lot, but when I do use it, I use it more where you know you press it down and you kind of hold it there, and mm. you know it's not big wahs. It's just really getting that high end frequency. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I found was when I used to tour, if I brought a, a, the old school crybabies and stuff, I could never tell whether the pedal was on or off because mm-hmm. you got to click them. Yep. And of course, everything's so loud. I, you know, now they have lights and stuff like that. But back then with the Bad Horsey, what I really liked about it was that, again, it was wide enough to um, you could hear it through my guitar tone. And when I let go of the pedal, if I was you know, running around on stage or whatever, it, it automatically shut off, which was a good convenience. Right, right. That is uh, something that I have not liked about wah pedals. I always mm-hmm. found frustrating. I never could have found something like, how how are people, like, that is a really hard click, and you clunk, clunk, and you have to yeah. get that on, and then find your spot that you want. Oh, boy. That's yep. why they made the auto wah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, knowing that you have, you know, uh, all kinds of fantastic digital equipment, uh, that you can go to. Um, that is a pretty respectable uh, four on the floor. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, gentlemen, we are going to begin the interview with Steve Stein. Begin interview. Yes. <laughs> now, uh, just so I can get this clear, and we're going to send people to all the places that they can check you out while they're listening here. Are you immediately associated with Guitar Zoom? Are they one and the same? Because people are going to be looking, they're going to see all these things. Yeah, yeah. So, get, yeah, Steve Stein is fine, and Guitar Zoom is where you'd want to send anybody, guitarzoom.com. I don't own guitarzoom.com like a lot of people think. I work with Guitar Zoom. They basically, I create the content, and then they do all of the dis- distribution, ads, all that kind of stuff. So we, we work in conjunction with each other. But, yeah, everything, that, that's just a real easy place to send everybody. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you happen to be perusing YouTube, you can look up Steve Stein and yeah, absolutely. see Steve Stein guitar lessons. Yep, that's right. And it, that'll have the link to Guitar Zoom too, in case you forgot that. Um, hopefully you're not driving while you're doing this. I, we strongly encourage you to at least pull over and enjoy. Okay, Steve, you've been doing this a while. And I don't yeah. mean that as in like it's gotten long in the tooth. I mean that as you... <laughs> You know, there are new pop-ups every day, and I, I, I believe that something like uh, 89% of all of YouTube is guitar lessons and demos. <laughs> uh, but, you know, aside from YouTube, your, your effort, you've been doing this a while, and I that means that you're really good at it. Well, I, I appreciate that. I started, you know, I started teaching when I was 17. I was born in 1970. I'm 50 years old. So I started teaching in 1987. And uh, I, I grew up in Fargo, North Dakota. And basically, I had just run out of time. I, I was in bands and, and playing and I was a professor at our local college. And I was a Montessori instructor, if you know what Montessori education is. Yeah. Oh, yes. And uh, I, I had so many jobs and I loved them all, but I just kind of ran out of time. And it, it occurred to me that what I really should try and do, because at that time, back in the 90s, you know, the internet was still kind of a new thing. And uh, so I started, you know, testing out YouTube and, and stuff like that, trying to kind of figure out if I could maybe start teaching instead of doing one-on-one lessons, I could start doing, 
you know, 20 on one or 50 on one or something so I could actually have some free time. And that's kind of where everything started. And at what point did you transition from doing that to going into full on um, superstar media maker? It's been probably about nine years now that I've been doing what I'm doing now, which is just creating, creating content, creating guitar courses. You know, I don't do any lessons anymore. I, you know, I travel in the summer, which I haven't obviously since COVID, but normally I would do, you know, I would perform and, and do stuff at NAM and uh, Sweetwater, which is online, which I'll be doing again this year, things like that. Uh, but yeah, so it's nice because I get to spend time finally with my family. I, I would imagine that is a big, big part of a big bonus of this kind of thing for sure. Yeah, it was, it was, I, I can't even express how life-changing it was. And so now, you know, I'm very, very protective of my, my time. You know, I used to, the problem as many of us in this industry, you know, you never say no to anything. You just, if you get an opportunity to do something, you do it. Yeah. And then you wind up realizing that you just, you never have any time left. And so now, you know, I find I, now it's very easy for me to say no to, to things if I, if I think I'm not going to have time to do it. Mm-hmm. Do you uh, at all miss the the one-on-one lessonry? Yeah, I do. I, you know, I, I live in a little town just south of Fargo now. We, um, we moved out just to have a bit more privacy out here. And I do a class out here once a year, maybe twice a year, just so I can stay connected. I mean, if I could, if I could travel more and spend more time with people personally and, and, you know, not, not so much. I don't know if you guys have done lessons before, but the thing about doing lessons is after you do it for 20 years and you've been, you know, teaching the same G chord and C chord and D chord, sometimes to the same kids weeks and months on end, (laughs) you know, it can get, it can get, you know, I, I, again, I enjoyed all the time, but it can get overwhelming. And now I don't ever have to do that. So it's nice to be able to do classes where I'll take a group of people and, and we'll do, you know, a beginner class or an intermediate class or whatever. And then, like I said, when I get to do my traveling, I usually bring a rig or we'll rent a rig or something like that and then get together with, you know, whatever guitar Zoom students or whoever I can contact and we'll sit around and jam together and talk about music. And I love doing that stuff. So, yeah, I, I miss... I, there are some aspects of one-on-one that I, I certainly miss. And some that you don't. Yeah. <laughs> well, that GCD thing, I don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Uh, speaking of music, uh, just so we can kind of get an understanding of where your head is started in all of this, like mm-hmm. who, name, who are some of your favorite artists that you uh, love to, to, that inspired you? Well, the, the first one for me absolutely was Ace Freely. When I was like nine years old, my cousin showed me an, uh, a Kiss album, and I was like, that's it. You know, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be a lawyer or anything. This is what I need to do. <laughs> but once I, once I finally got my guitar, I got a, a guitar on my 13th birthday. You know, I was really into, obviously, the Joe Satrianis and Steve Vai's and, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. As I started playing, Randy Rhodes was a big one for me in the beginning. Um, but, you know, as growing up, I was really into Kansas and Sticks and Ted Nugent and uh, Rush, you know, all that kind of stuff. So as soon as I got a guitar and started playing and realized that I could make things on the fretboard sound like the music that I, I liked, because I, I basically learned how to play by ear. And the only reason I say that is because at the time, you know, living in Fargo, I had a guitar teacher, but we 
I don't know what happened, but we really weren't, weren't seeing eye to eye. And so uh, I had a buddy that taught me a couple of power chords. And then I just started learning like, you know, I remember High and Dry and that album by Def Leppard and oh, yeah. um, oh, my God. Blizzard of Oz and, um, you know, just different albums like that where I would sit with the needle on the record and I would just, I would listen to, you know, 10 seconds and then I would lift the needle, put it back, <laughs> listen over and over and I would scratch my records, you know, but I, Back in Black was another one. And so I just started learning how to play by ear and, um, and it just, it, it made sense to me. You know, I didn't understand theory or anything until I went to college, but I, I just had a real good sense of being able to hear things and, and repeat what I heard. So what was that first guitar when you were 13 years old? I had a Hondo. It was a Hondo <laughs> 2. It was a Les Paul style Hondo oh, 2 yeah. that I, I do not have anymore, and I wish I did. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember those. Yeah. Now, did you take any lessons uh, coming up? Just just those ones I had in uh, when I was a kid, like I just mentioned, just those, and that didn't last very long, a couple of months, and that was over. And then when I went to college, it was a real eye-opener for me because I, I didn't know how to read music. I didn't know anything about theory. And uh, I remember my first theory class when I was a freshman. There must have been you know, 60 people, 50 people in this big, this big room. And by the end of that year, I think there was like 15 of us left. Hmm. I find that there's a little bit of separation, you know, once kind of the cerebral aspect of understanding, and it's also playing, but like, as a player, what was something that you struggled with personally? Well, there's a few things. I mean, one I, I can very much remember when I was a kid was bar chords. I mean, bar chords were almost the end mm -hmm. of my career because I couldn't, I couldn't, which all of these things kind of lead to the reason I started teaching in the first place, because I realized that I had the ability of being able to explain things to people quite simply because of the things that I had gone through. So with a bar chord, I, I swear to God, it seemed like it was three months and I couldn't play this stupid chord and then I was going to give up. And then I woke up one day and I could do it. And so I always tell people, you know, that's the thing about guitar playing is sometimes it, it seems like you'll never get it. And then one day you'll just wake up and go, happen. Oh yeah, that makes sense now. Yeah. Well, having a good voice and being generally good looking is also a bonus, you know, to get people's attention. So well done there. Well, well, <laughs> I'm hoping someday I achieve those things. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we've got a whole bunch of questions. We're just going to kind of pepper you with them if you don't mind. I got one. I got of course. One. Rob, yeah. go for it. Hey, I was wondering, what's your, uh, you talk about, um, you know, you teaching and everything. What's your, your, per, uh, your professional performance background like who you toured with or played with sure or you done local bands sure. national you bet so uh, basically i played regionally up in the the midwest here so i started playing in in local clubs when i was gosh i must have been about 20 it was before i was 21 and um played in cover bands and because i was going to college at the time i started teaching all that stuff so i would play on the weekends and uh, and then I continue to play in different bands around this area. I haven't done a lot of touring. The, the, the biggest tour that I did was with, um, if you guys are familiar with Grim Reaper. Um, oh, yeah, Nick Boca. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Nick and I are good friends. But before I even knew Nick, I became friends with Steve Grimmett, who was the singer of, mm -hmm. of Grim Reaper. And he was actually... Uh, I was the best man or he was the best man at my wedding. I was the best man at his wedding, oh, very but cool. we, yeah. So when they came over to the States this last time I, I toured with them. Um, but no, I haven't spent a lot of time touring when I was, I basically just became 
immersed in teaching. So when I got out of college and I was teaching, there was a point in time when I was teaching over a hundred students a week. And that wasn't like group classes or anything. Wait, it was wait, literally a hundred. So you're teaching seven over, days a week, over 50 hours a week, seven days a week. I was teaching. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's crazy. And, and I, I don't think Todd or, uh, or Tony knows, but I actually taught private lessons for 20 years too. And I think at my max, I was like 70 or 75 students a week. Because a hundred students in a week, that is yeah. hardcore. Yeah, I was working at a, a company, a Midwestern company here called Schmidt Music, which I taught or I, I worked for and taught at for many years. And they gave me this really big studio space. And so I just, I, it just wouldn't stop. I had so many students. And so what I did was I started putting together these, these, um, jams because i was like well what do you do with a bunch of guitar players they all want to be in bands but nobody's in a band so i started putting on these things called schmidt fest and basically what i would do is i would tell everybody i'd say okay if you can sing or you can play bass or you can play drums or you have friends that could do any of those things i want everybody to meet down here you know next sunday from three to five and all of a sudden i must have had like 200 kids Wow. that were in this in this space Sheesh. and i'm like okay so let's start figuring out what songs you can play and then who among you could sing this song that this person wants to play and they just became a really big deal here in fargo where it would be a three-day event where every night you know for a few hours these students would perform and and since then there have been bands that were formulated from there that have gone on that are still playing. You know, I hear from students because it's been a long time now, but they'll still be playing. So they, they formed friendships and played in bands together and different things because of those early days of, of putting those events on. That's awesome. That's remarkable. Yeah. I do really wish that it was called the Schmidt Show, though, because that would have been, <laughs> been way funnier. I, I wanted Steinstock, but yeah. it, it got outvoted. So. And, and then, and then on the anniversary, it'd be the total Schmidt Show. <laughs> oh boy! Uh, See, it, just, it doesn't take much. <laughs> um, well, I think there was a there was a musical uh, that was similar to your story. I think it was called The Music Man. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what do you talk? What do you talk? What do you talk? What do you talk? Um, anyways, Capital okay. T, that so um, I'm going to ask a question. If you guys don't mind, really quick. Go ahead, Todd. Um, please, please, Todd. You have to be floor. really quick, though. Make it make it quick, though. Quick, um, very quickly. Can you spit it out? Too long. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Todd. Next. Todd, what anytime you're ready. I, I I didn't hear the question. Sorry about yeah. that. Todd, go ahead. Tony, I'm I'm. I'm a, I will throw something. Okay. What are some of the biggest changes that you've seen in general? Well, I remember, you know, like if, if I go back into the nineties, how when Kurt Cobain, when Nirvana was popular and how you couldn't have a student come in literally at any time that wasn't learning a Nirvana song. Oh, yes. So, you know, a blessing or a curse, depending on what you like to listen to, it was just the same songs over and over and over teaching those things. But it was at a pinnacle when kids were just into guitar. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, those are always the best ones because the, you know, students that are there because their parents are making them take a lesson or something like that, it, it tends to not work out so good. But I remember that was just a really exciting time, not because I was a big fan of Nirvana or anything, but because kids were just really excited organically about learning how to play guitar. The big thing with teaching is that you really have to separate what you like and what yeah. you expect from them yeah. from what they like and what they, you know, because you could have a singer songwriter that only knows a few chords, but 
if it sets them on a path musically to where they want to go. Like my daughter, I have an, a 20 year old daughter and, and she and I perform together and um, she's got an amazing voice, but she likes to play guitar, but she doesn't think of guitar the way I think of guitar, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the big thing is, is just trying to find a way of being able to reach, you know, students in general, not just kids, but just students in a, on a level that makes them excited and again, motivated to want to practice. Do you find it easier to uh, to deal with 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 younger students than you know maybe somebody that's older and kind of set in their ways? No, to be honest with you, I think th some of the more difficult students are the ones that have been playing for a while and are, have convinced themselves that things the the way they think about things is the way things are. Hmm. And then you have to try and go, well, part of your problem is, is that you're thinking about this wrong. Or if you would reassess some of the things that you're doing, that's kind of where, where your problems lie. Mm. Um, you know, the most frustrating part, needless to say, is when you get a student that just has no interest in being there other than they like you, you know, so they don't, they don't want to practice anyway. But I would say those are, are some of the harder students are the ones that, you know, because you're really trying to figure out what can I do to make this easier for you or make your, your journey more successful and when they're combating you going, well, no, I was told this, or, you know, I learned it this way. And you're going, well, that's okay. But th there are other things that you should be thinking about. The guitar is a pretty magical thing because mm -hmm. it, it gives you power. It makes you feel like garbage. <laughs> it mm -hmm. can scare you. It can make you, you know, just feel so accomplished. But ultimately, you know, when it comes down to I'm playing, I am I, I'm sort of seeing myself in a dream state of when I'm, what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. That is different than saying, okay, I have to actually learn how to do this. Mm -hmm. Do you find that that is something that people, when they, when they are taking lessons, that, that it's difficult for them to drop, or do they more readily abandon it once they have sort of given up to say, yes, please teach me? The the thing about guitar, I'll just say this before I answer that. The thing about the guitar, I always tell people it's like a Pandora's box. When you open it, it's endless. You know, it, it seems like there's only a few fundamental things when you first start playing, you know, you learn how to play these chords and then you strum. But as you keep going, it just it just goes on forever. And I always tell people the guitar will win, like we'll die before we ever figure out <laughs> everything there is with the guitar, because you just can't. And so the hard part is is that when you're trying to teach people you know, you're trying to figure out how to get, and I'm not sure if this exactly answers your question, but you, you try and give them snippets of things for them to experience an element of success and taste mm -hmm. what the guitar has to offer, right? Without opening to that door too far to where it becomes overwhelming because then people are like, well, my buddy was talking about Phrygian and I don't even understand. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. There, there's no reason to even be worrying about that at this point, because all you're going to do, and this is the, the, the positive and the negative of social media, namely like YouTube, is that, yes, it's wonderful because you can go on there and you can find all this information, but it's terrible because you can go on there and find all this information. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? And then, so, it, then it's sort of like uh, I felt immediately overwhelmed. The minute I was like, this is awesome. I like doing this. I want to do this. And then I opened the door and I was like, uh, uh, you know, it's like, cool, just count the grains of sound on the beach and uh, you will be a guitar player. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, and that's the thing is, is, is that's the problem with it. And when you're, you know, I was just talking to someone earlier today about this. If, if you're already an established player and you want to jump on YouTube because you want to learn a new pattern or a new sequence, or you want to learn, you know, a, a concept or whatever, you've already got a bunch of those building blocks in place 
So it's not going to deviate you. Mm-hmm. But if you're a beginner, you don't you don't know what you don't know. So you go on there and it says beginner guitar and you're going, oh, well, I'm supposed to learn. I remember having students that would come in and, you know, they, they they're absolute beginners. And they're, I say, so what what kind of stuff have you learned or what kind of stuff do you play on the guitar at this point? And they'll go, well, my teacher taught me uh, how to play a G major scale. And then they play me a G major scale. And I, I would always think in my head, what good is that doing this kid? when he can't even play a song, but he's got to learn a G major scale. Like there's picking involved, you know, single note picking, transition from string to string. And, and, and just the concept of what are you going to do with a G major scale? It's just one of those matter of fact things that you teach somebody because it, you're supposed to teach them that versus, and again, this is just my, my own take on this, but if, if I could take that kid and teach him something that he can relate to, he's probably going to practice more because he's making an actual connection. Hmm. Yep. Hey, Steve, I think we're, we're the same kind of age group that we were the ones taking over from the old guard of teachers yep. that were, yeah, they have to teach from a method book. It has to be done this way. The Mel Bay system. Right. I, I have never <laughs> used a method book in my entire life of yep. teaching. The only time never. I would use it would be the really, really young kids where they literally don't have a favorite artist yet, the five-year-olds or whatever. Sure. Um, I would use, but then, you know, as they grow up, you know, but yeah, I, I think we were of this, uh, the same age group where it's like, okay, what bands are you into? How can I connect with you to make you want to practice? I mean, that's right. Yeah. You well, know, get it, this. Like you said, so, with goals. That's right. So I'll tell you this. I, I told you I started te- uh, learning guitar at 13 and I did, but I did have an experience when I was nine years old where I got an acoustic guitar from my uncle and this thing was, you know, it had, it, it could have been used as a bow and arrow. The strings were so far away from the neck. Hmm. And I, but I didn't know any different, right? So I'm trying to learn. And that's what he gave me was he gave me this Mel Bay book. Mm-hmm. Well, I had nobody to teach me and I'm trying to read this and I'm trying to figure out what the heck a chord chart is. And, you know, what is a G chord, right? I mean, if you don't know anything about anything, what is a chord, let alone what is a G chord? What does a G mean? Mm-hmm. And it was, it was just an awful experience. And I tried to play for about, I suppose, about two weeks and I, I gave it up because it just, you know, and it, what's really funny is I remember seeing Ted Nugent on TV and this is no lie. I remember seeing him on TV and he was doing a solo or something. And I kept thinking he must be faking because my Mel Bay book <laughs> doesn't leave the first three frets. <laughs> yep. Yep. Because I, I didn't know, you know, I, I had no idea. So that's the thing is with that Pandora's box, there's so much information that if somebody isn't really given the information at the logical time, it just become overwhelming and people quit. Well, yeah. And I know when I was teaching, you know, that the internet was uh, started really hitting um, when I was probably doing it for maybe five years or so, but I started having the influx of students as I'm sure you did where they were coming in going, Hey, look what I just learned from the internet. And mm-hmm. where they start sharing this information. It's like, Oh, well you skipped a, B, C, and D and went right to G and you don't understand what that you're was doing. Actually and, me. and you learned <laughs> wrong and right. you know, all those things. So I'd kind of segue into what you're doing now. You know, I, I watched a couple short uh, snippets on YouTube of you. And um, I, I going to guess here that you're trying to put it into a organized and directly useful way. That's right. And, and the big thing too, is, is trying to offer small pieces of information, mm-hmm. you know, on YouTube, that's the best you can do. If you try and go into a, a large dissertation of something, a lot of times it's just too much for a lot of people. But if you can give them small amounts of information, um, that they can digest. It's something that's useful. Then the other option or the other thing I think about is making sure that there's multiple options. You know, there's not only one way of playing a G chord. Mm -hmm. 
there's not only one way of playing a G major scale. I mean, there's there's lots of different things. So, you know, if you have a person that says, well, I can't, you know, play this chord this way. My hands are too big. My hands are too small. I'm missing a finger, blah, blah, blah. God knows what it would be. It, it doesn't mean it has to be the end of the road. There, there are alternatives. And so, you know, I always try and make sure that people understand that you have to find, like I just went live today and I was talking about these three Aussie licks. And the most important thing was getting that, you know, in, during the live thing is for people to understand there's multiple ways of approaching these things. Um, I was doing it because it was a chord melody connection thing. That's that was what I was doing today. Um, but the point is, is that not everybody's going to play it the same way. And you know what? It's it's fine. We don't have to play it. The, you don't have to play it the same way. Randy Rhodes played it. You have to find a way that works for you. Well, you know? yeah. And to that point, and something I, I saw that you did, too, is uh, a lot of people, uh, instructors describe it one way, the way that makes sense to them. Mm -hmm. where, you know, I saw that you were doing, you would kind of approach it from a few different angles at the same mm -hmm. time and say, we well, can think of it like this. It's, you know, I think one of them was talking about pentatonic major and you, you know, here's pentatonic minor, here's to pentatonic major, or you can think of it as this form and, you know, right. um, which I think is really important because not everybody learns the same, you know? Yeah. Well, that's right. Because one person might connect with the first idea and somebody else will connect with the second idea. And that's, that's really the point is, I, you know, I've been playing, yeah, and I've been playing my whole life, and I can't tell you that I've got things figured out. I mean, I've certainly got a, a pretty good plan of what I think in my head, but that doesn't mean that I don't come across something and go, oh, God, I never even thought about playing it that way before. Mm. Yeah, by the way, that uh, new video has already got about 2,000 views, so well done. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you just said something that I think is uh, is interesting, and I this was my first impression when I watched one of your videos you, I haven't learned everything. I don't know everything. And I felt like I was being shown something from somebody who learned it the same way, who is interested and still wanted to have that connection and be like, Hey, here's something cool that I learned. And I think you might, that you might benefit from it too. That's, that's exactly it right there. And, and the, the point is, is, is also, you know, and again, I, I'm not trying to be weird about this, but there's no reason why you can't make somebody feel good about the information that they're learning so they can look at you and go, wow, I, I, I believe this guy. You know, I, I, I sense that he's trying to really help me. It isn't, you know, it isn't just for an al alternative motive or something like that. But, you know, that, that to me is, listen, I'm going to live and die a guitar teacher. That's what I do. I love to play on stage and I wish I could do it more. But if I had to do one or the other, I would. I would never give up my teaching. Interesting. <coughs> well, thanks, Tony. Jeez. Excuse Tony's me. dead, everybody. That, Tony? I'm gonna, I'll take his questions uh, from here on out. Weird. Damn COVID. <laughs> yeah. I was just kind of curious. I think that curious. was the Polska kilbasa yeah, that you yeah, just yeah, ate. It could have been the kielbasa. Um, at this point in time, how many uh, lessons are you up to that people can, can tap into? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I mean, on, online, I've got, you know, for free stuff, there's probably... Because we've got three different channels on YouTube, so mm -hmm. there's probably fourteen hundred wow. videos, Very something incredible. like that. Now, and then I've with Guitar Zoom, I've got, I think I've made about seventy guitar courses, something like that. Wow! So is the Guitar Zoom is that a like a one time you purchase per month or subscription thing or how's that work? Either one. I mean, I I release new courses on a regular basis, and you can buy one off courses or you can join the membership, and with the membership you get a bunch of different courses, but then you also get, uh, uh, during the membership, there's, there's 
smaller bits of videos as well. So instead of, you know, some people like to consume a course because they want to go from the beginning to the end and learn everything that there is in there. And some people just, again, want to be inspired. They just need a new lick or they mm -hmm. need to understand, again, what is the Phrygian scale, things like that. So there's lots of videos like that in there too. Um, and then I do like songs, you know, mm -hmm. how to play different songs mm -hmm. and the same, the same thing, you know, learn how to play a song, but look at different aspects of how you could approach playing the song, you know, or maybe you're learning the solo, but a lick is, is a certain lick is too hard. You might approach that a different way, or maybe you want to improvise over it. So you need to know what, what scale you're dealing with, what key are you dealing with that sort of thing. Yeah. I, so with all of those available, I mean, how do you come up with fresh ideas you know, every, every day, every week, however you, uh, often you release them. Do you take, I have, I have, uh, websites like Trello and things like that. I have literally thousands of topic ideas. And anytime I'm watching another, uh, musician or a band, or I'm listening to something, it, there's not a day that goes by that something doesn't click in me and go, Oh, I should talk about that. Yeah, or no. I should, I should do that. So, and what I do is I just, I log everything that I think about. So I, I have just an endless supply of stuff. It's awesome. Um, yeah. I've got uh, four shorter questions that I think are key to kind of making you decide to get in lessons or, or better understanding your own approach into a lesson. Okay. Okay. Question number one, what do guitarists struggle with the most? Depending on which stage they're in, right? Mm -hmm. So if they're in a beginner stage, they usually struggle with being able to make chords and strum at the same time. How about the mid stage when you think you're like, I got this. And then you're like, crap, I can't pl I'm plateauing. It's usually speed. Mm, I mean, if we're talking to technique, it's usually, and it doesn't have to be like shred speed, but playing fast enough to be able to play songs that they like, you know, alternate picking, shifting strings, things like that. that that's what most people struggle with okay. on a theory level. It winds up always being modes. Like people just fall apart when it comes to modes. Yeah. That's you know? uh, I, I took algebra four times and never passed it. So <laughs> that when I when as soon as I start hearing that language, it honestly it, it just rattles my cage. Well, and you asked earlier some things that I struggled with when I went to college. Again, I didn't know how to read notes. I knew nothing about music theory, so it was an eye opener for me. But I remember when my guitar instructor in college first mentioned modes, and either he didn't describe it well or I wasn't listening and it very well could have been I wasn't listening or both but, or both yeah <laughs> but I I remember being terrified because I was like god I just learned all these major and minor scales and now I got to learn modes and in my mind I was thinking well, this is like you know 78 scales I got to learn or whatever it is and never realizing that they actually just all come the from same. <laughs> the same yeah and see I didn't realize that so that's another thing that is always fun to teach people is I, I always tell people modes are so uh, so easy. They're hard, hmm. you know, I haven't opened this door up yet, but, uh, yeah, subscribe for, I'm sure he's, got I, a lesson I know, on, I right? know, but, but you know, like, think about when we first got, <laughs> like when the iPods first came out, they were, it, it was like, how do you do this? How do you turn it on? What is it? I don't understand. And it's like, oh, you just yeah. push the button and it opens <laughs> so everything simple. up. And that's kind of based on how you're talking about this. You know, maybe that's a way for me to put it in my brain to where I could actually maybe learn that. You know, and what you could do is if, if you get time, if you go on YouTube and you type in my name and you type in modes, there's mm -hmm. a video on there that's got, I don't know, a million views or something like that, that is about modes. It's a live thing that I did. And it's a great, easy introduction to understanding how modes work it, it's not the whole story but at least it gets you on board and doesn't cost you anything i'm going to commit to doing that it, it's yeah. real quick what was yes. your last question again because i had 
the the last question was uh what do guitarists struggle with the most oh oh yeah yeah hey, hey steve uh tell me if i'm right about this what i found for all my students generally any age group it was organization and time management absolutely and that's still something that is a struggle is getting people to understand and now we live in a world where everybody wants to multitask and mm -hmm. you try and explain to people that multitasking is a myth right it, it is it, we all do it well, but the truth is you're just giving you're giving less to each thing than you could right. if you just focused on one thing and so learning how to focus when you practice and really having goals that you're trying to achieve are, are really important. I, I don't know how many times I would have a student come in and, and he wasn't making the progress he should have been. I'm like, okay, are you practicing five days this week, 30 minutes a day? He's like, oh yeah. I was like, describe your practice. And he's sitting in the living room with the TV going on, mom. Yeah. Make, and it's like, dude, you're doing everything but practicing at that That's point. That's right. You know, I was, I always tell people practice on the days that you eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's good. So, um, what, what are some of the biggest player uh, biggest mistakes that uh, players make from your perspective well it depends on on where to go with that i mean i think one of the mistakes that people make is that they spend too much time in the micro thought and not in the bigger picture like mm -hmm. you know you, you spend three years trying to master the crap out of this speed lick that you're learning instead of having spent time with other musicians and maybe formed a band and made music together. Maybe it wasn't exact and maybe it wasn't the, the fastest song on the planet, but you're, you're living a musical life with other musicians or yeah. other friends. It you doesn't know? have to be perfect to move forward. That's right. That's right. And, and, and getting caught in the weeds, you know, just people always getting caught in the weeds with certain things, you know, they're learning a song and then all of a sudden they get to measure seven. And now that measure has derailed them for the next six months where maybe you just weren't ready for that measure seven. Maybe there's a million other things you could be doing. And if you come back to that six months later, you're going to go, oh my God, that was really easy. Awesome. All right. I got two quick things. Um, what most commonly makes people quit? They're not the lack of motivation. They're not finding a connection. And, and again, you know, I'd mentioned the 90s with people being really into it. We moved forward 10 years, and now all of a sudden you've got a lot of kids that, and, and again, I don't mean to just talk about kids, but you've got a lot of kids that aren't making a connection to music that has, that's guitar driven. Mm. So now they're sitting in the studio with you, and you're trying to teach them chords, and you're not really finding music that they can even listen to, or that they're interested in listening to, that really even has any kind of guitar thing. We grew up with riffs, yeah. right? So yeah. you heard a riff and you went, I wanna play that riff. Well, now all of a sudden we're dealing with music that isn't really riff-based anymore, and and it's just chords and things like that. And so I think I think that's part of it, is, is you need to find a way of keeping, well, not you necessarily, but the student needs to find a way to stay motivated. And part of the way to do that is to find a proper teacher that can keep them motivated. But you know, you have to, you have to have a love of music with the instrument in it. If you're trying to learn how to play guitar and all you're doing is listening to hip hop music, it's really tough to, to make that, that mm. connection. I was just going to add on to that, that I think that if you are playing uh, new stuff. It's interesting that you touch on that because I have this conversation with my kids and, and, and other um, music enthusiasts, which is um, it's the age old thing of like, music's not as good now as it used to be. Well, and that's 
not exactly what I'm saying. It's true. But as a guitar player, I think you have to be able to sit with yourself, making a connection with the music that, that you're playing. Well, and that's that really is the the magical element is if you think back when when i was a kid and i was listening to music because i was an avid music listener my parents listened to a lot of music a lot of diverse music and so when i started playing what you're saying is exactly true when i could take the riff that i had heard 500 times because i love that song and all of a sudden i could make it make sense on the fretboard with my fingers it was the greatest feeling in the world like it, I, I i needed it was like a drug i needed yeah. more of of that. So at this point, I'm not thinking about theory. I'm not thinking about speed. I'm not thinking about whatever. I'm just making a, a an honest, raw musical connection to yeah. something. And I and I think that's I I still think that's the most important thing, you know, is is wh whether it's guitar or whether it's, you know, somebody playing another instrument. I mean, guitar is all I know, but it, you know, even if it's somebody learning how to sing or or learning how to rap or whatever, if you can make some sort of connection to it that's real, that's what gets you hooked yeah. forever. But you, but you got to make that connection. I, the, the other night I was, uh, it's usually when I'm getting ready to shut the guitar down that I end up kind of like stumbling on something that's very interesting. So maybe I should just turn it on and then shut it, Walk shut away. it down, right? <laughs> yeah, every time. Every <laughs> and not wait shut the time in the middle. Um, <laughs> it's like a basketball game, really. Just get to the last two, three minutes and, yeah. you know, that's what it's all about. But, uh, I found myself, as I often do, playing this riff that I, you know, came up with, and I and I'm like, man, I've been playing this for a half an hour, and I want to play it for another half an hour, and another half an hour after that, right? And that's that that thing. It's it's and, the and, it's, and meanwhile, your wife and kids are saying, when is he going to stop playing? Well, but then uh, uh, but then I say, oh, I gotta I gotta actually record this, and I send it to my band, and they're like, oh, that's awesome, and it's like. Man, what an amazing feeling that is. Yes. So Well, and that and that that in itself like you just said is an amazing feeling too that a lot of people don't realize is you don't have to be you know a guitar genius to write some fun stuff and give it right. to your drummer or your bass player or your singer or whoever and just bash out some stuff and have some fun. A you know, everybody proof. has this yeah, social media has made everybody so worried about saving face. You know, everybody's got to be so good at stuff before and and it just it bums me out sometimes because again people are missing out on the the realism and the fun of what this stuff can be if you stop worrying about trying to be you know the best player on the block and I'm being a hypocrite by saying that because when I was growing up I was trying to be the best guitar player on the block I think you but, can still you can want to be that for yourself but you can really only compare yourself to yourself yeah that's not, right and not you know the thousands of people that are on here. Well, and that's the thing is, is now social media gives us millions of people. So it's yeah. really easy to get down on yourself. It's okay to use that competition, that competitive nature, if it's benefiting you. But if all it's doing is making you hate playing or making you frustrated with playing or frustrated with yourself, which is what I see a lot. Yeah. Is people go and look, I just, you know, I hate the way I play. I've been playing for three years and I suck. And you're like, look, it. I don't think you suck. I haven't heard you play, but I think it has a lot to do with your perspective and what you expect out of yourself. If you stop, like, like he said earlier, if you stop and look at how much time you actually spend really practicing, really focused on what you're doing. And sometimes it's not easy. I mean, if you're 40 years old, you have three kids, you have three jobs, you know, one of the jobs requires you to travel. It's not always easy, 
you know, we could make it seem easy. I can because I can practice as much as I want every day. Everybody doesn't have that luxury. Sure. So, you know, you've got to find a way of being realistic with with what your goals are. Set your goals down a little bit and find, you know, find a space where you can be happy with what you're doing. Stop trying to, you know, I always think of it as, you know, levels on a ladder or rungs on a ladder. You know, stop trying to go 10 rungs up. Just find the next one. You know, what, what, what's the next logical place for you to go to feel good about yourself? Yeah. I tell my, my creative team at the agency I work at, um, whenever things get kind of hairy and we start worrying about, uh, the, the projects and everything I say, I say, move the block, not the pyramid. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's a great term. That's a great phrase. Um, so speaking of finding the thing and locking it down and getting committed, uh, as we uh, out- outro here, tell us about Music Theory Made Easy 2.0. That's uh, it's at the top of your your YouTube page. Yeah, this is a new course that I just did. I, I have a Music Theory Masterclass. It's like 14 hours long, and it's, it's a big in-depth study in music. Well, then a, a, a number of years ago, I had made this course called Music Theory Made Easy. And it was really meant for, again, if you watch that YouTube video, that's the kind of music theory that it is, is getting people's feet wet with just understanding the basics of theory and the things that you really need to know on a daily basis. You know, not going off the deep end, but just really staying with stuff that's logical. Mm-hmm. And what I did was I decided now that I've got a new studio and everything's 4K and that sort of thing, that I would revisit that course. So I went back, I watched the whole course and took notes on things that I would do differently this time around. Some things I would add, some things that I thought maybe didn't need to be in there and, uh, and then re- redid the course. Awesome. And it says get $50 off and five brand new bonuses. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the bonuses are. I never know what those things are, but, <laughs> but they well, are they must brand be new. Good. I'm, I'm <laughs> sure they're good. Yeah. Well, Steve, uh, we can't thank you enough for spending the time. And, uh, you, you know, we know we juiced this lemon because uh, we, you know, we had the opportunity. So we want to make sure we got as much great information for our listeners as possible. And, and we thank you for shelling out as much of that information as you were uh, able to. Um, we are going to uh, now dip into the would you rather, and then we're going to see everybody out. Sounds good. Antoine. All right. I've got some big shoes to fill. Yes, you do. Literally and figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Jared's six <clears throat> six seven and about three fifty, so <laughs> he's the one who usually does this. Yes, he's got he has he has big shoes. <laughs> but he sounds like a little uh, yeah. So an this angel. is this is uh yeah, he has the voice of an angel, so yeah. I'm gonna do my best. Okay. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's at this point of the show the point that everybody loves. A segment we like to call Would you Until you lost it at the end, you just, it, yeah. you just I couldn't Jerry make it. Nice I Jerry Lewis it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you kind of did. Hey, lay, lay. <laughs> okay. This week's "Would You Rather" is brought to us by John Jackson. Yes, one of our executive producers, mm-hmm. friend of the show, indeed. So you're walking down the street mm-hmm. and you spy a store. That you've never noticed before. Oh. It's an old-timey pawn shop. I'm intrigued. Old-timey. Mm. You peer into the window, 
And it's like all this stuff. I like to go to think places to see completely useless things. Well, this <laughs> in this case, not oh. everything is completely useless because mm. you notice tucked up in the corner mm-hmm. is this very old guitar. Oh. And it's got dirt and grease and grime, and it just looks really, really bad. But you pick it up anyhow. It's kind of cool looking. And uh, you rub it with the sleeve of your shirt. Uh-huh. Get the dirt and grime off. To get the dirt and grime off, just so that you feel <laughs> a little bit. You don't get tetanus or anything mm-hmm. like that. All of a sudden, whoosh, a genie appears. Oh, a guitar Ooh. genie? A guitar genie. <laughs> okay. Now, this guitar genie has some limited powers because normally, you know, the, the routine is you get three wishes. Yeah. And, of course, one of the wishes can't be to wish for three more wishes. Right. But this one, this genie says, look, I've had a long day. I've been stuck in this guitar for the last 50 years. You get one wish. Boy, what a neck ache. <laughs> <laughs> But this, the, the, the limited powers of this genie are actually kind of cool because you get a choice. Uh-huh. You get a time travel uh-huh. back to London, England Ooh. in one of two decades. Oh. 1967 mm-hmm. or 1977. So he's a rock and roll genie. Oh, well, obviously he's a rock okay. and roll genie. Holy mackerel. So would you rather travel back to jolly old London, England in 1967 to see a one-night-only show? Uh Uh-huh. Or in 1977 to enjoy the nightlife and the sounds and the sights? Oh, that's such a good question. It's a very good question. Okay. It is good. Tony Baloney's going to kick it off, and then we're going to go to Rob hit steve and then i'll finish it up okay all right tony well this this is a very tough question as i read it and i was like oh wow so i was just barely too young to do the 1977 stuff in person but Mm -hmm. i love the music from both of those eras you know in 67 in london you'd have Pink Floyd, which they were known as the Pink Floyd back right. then, uh, amongst other bands at the beginning of Psychedelia. Jimmy was there. Jim, Jimmy who? The, the Jimmy. Jimmy? The Jimmy? Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy Hendrix. How about Jimmy Page? Jimmy Page was there. He was, well, in, yeah. he was, he was yeah. in the Yardbirds yeah. then. And, uh, and then in 77. I mean, there's a slew of, oh, yeah, I mean, that, you know, that's, pick your act. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, the Beatles would show up at various shows and stuff like mm-hmm. that, Lennon and McCartney. But then in 77, you had oh. fallout from the Sex Pistols. You yep. had the Clash in, 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 in full bloom. Yeah. All the other cool bands, the Ramones would have been probably yeah, over right. in London yep. at that time. That's right. Adam I mean, was starting out. Uh, in 77? Yeah, right after all the Sex Pistols stuff, they went. No that, kidding. Susie and the Banshees, all those guys. Mm-hmm. That's, They're all that there. all came out of that. Generation X. Yes. From, you know, Billy Idol fame and, yes. and all the, I mean, that spawned. Yeah, that's right. 77, huge, 78. Yep. That was like a, a watershed year. Rock and roll explosion. So I, I think, I, I think if I had to choose one of the two, I think I'm going to do the 1967 because, in, you know, in my, my younger years, I was still able to see The Clash live. I saw Gen X. No, I didn't see. I saw Billy Idol live. That's almost Gen X. Yeah. Um, and, and a bunch of the bands that were still together 
from the late seventies from yeah. the UK. So I, I, you know, I've seen some of that, but it would be really cool to be in that scene at yeah. that time. But in '67, I, you know, I really wouldn't have had an opportunity to do that. So I, I think I'd like to do that and just, I mean, that would have been like the whole Austin Powers thing too. Yeah, yeah, baby. baby. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to '67. <laughs> okay, Rob. All right, '77. Because of the location, UK, for, for me, 67, if this was anywhere in the world, because I think a lot more is happening in America for a lot of, of mm. uh, boy, I, I, yeah. <laughs> it was almost a harmony. <laughs> si, 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 like the late 60s, uh, I mean, <coughs> mid to late 60s. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Where's Motown? I mean, talk about music. That's in Detroit. Holy, that's what I mean. Is is holy crap? The late sixties. Yeah. Uh huh. That's right. But anyways, true, but, true, true. But okay. Being, but being uh, UK seventy seven, um, uh, new wave of British heavy metal. That's right when that was starting. Oh with, yeah, well, well, yeah. The music scene in the US I, in the seventy seven was just miserable. And over there, I mean, you had Iron Maiden, Sabbath, and I mean, come on, I mean, uh, it's, priest. Yeah, yep. we could do this forever. Yeah. 77. Yeah, well, Steve, Steve's going to chomping at the bit on this yeah. one. <laughs> so, there you do go. Do I even need to an answer, really? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we got a 67, a 77. We're at odds. We're usually in agreement on stuff, so that's yeah, odd. That's okay. Yeah. I don't yeah. mind you. Mm. Okay, mm. Steve, enlighten us. Wait, wait. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell Tony what I think you're going to say. Hang on. Okay. Ah, okay, go ahead. I think you're wrong. Uh, I would, as, as much as I love the bands from '67, I would absolutely go with '77 because ah. we're talking we're talking Sex Pistols, The Clash, The Stranglers. Oh, uh, yeah. For me, the Ramo the Ramones are one of my favorite bands. But then you go back and you've got you know Iron Maiden with Paul Diano at that time, mm. early Judas Priest, you know stuff like that. So that stuff was again. I, I love stuff from the '60s like. Uh, you know pink floyd and stuff but i would definitely go with 77 okay well tony's gonna be on an island all by himself again no i think todd's gonna be on there with me you know are you kidding me dude i've got a i've got a yeah, clash I mean, tattoo like give me a break yeah, i'm going on, 77 clash yeah. I, I, have you ever seen his band I fronted I mean, come a, on. a johnny clash or a, 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 well it was called <laughs> i fronted a clash tribute band for like six years <laughs> that's like, awesome tony how well do you does i know me hmm. that's not real english or even bad english it's terrible <laughs> anyways yeah absolutely well, are you kidding me 77 tony island one more the time clash. <laughs> yeah oh you've got well, i'm trying to think did, did the remotes make it big in in england in 76 or 77 well i when, think the the tour in 76 really i mean brought them to the big yeah. forefront Okay. But, because they were at CB's uh, probably in '75, maybe. I think they were they were one of the early ons at CBGB's, hmm. and then uh, but that that there's a, a live the, album the that timeline was is in very very murky right there because like you know damn new rose is like one of the you know the argument of like you know which came first the chicken or the mm -hmm. egg as far right. as like the Ramones the Pistols the Damned. Well, right. the Ramones were there first. I'm just I mean, saying. I mean, they're they're both the Clash and the Sex Pistols members do credit yes. the Ramones for right uh, helping them. Yes, make but I the mean decision. in the UK, not counting in, the Ramones. I mean, 
Right. On so today's like Ramon's yeah. podcast. Anyways. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I actually have a, I got a, a new rose of my own on my, on my shoulder. That's what that one's from. So that's nice. Yes. Okie dokie. That was a really great. Would you rather? Thank you so much for sending that in. John Jackson. John Jackson. Uh, Tony's got a few people to thank. Then we're going to say adios to our friend, Steve Stein. And then uh, you guys can uh, actually, close the door, turn off the car, and go back in your house to see your family. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, just put the headphones on. Nobody needs to be the wiser. Well, you know, Todd, at this point of the show, there's a special group of people that we like to thank. Mm-hmm. These are our executive producers. Correct. In fact, one of our executive producers gave us our Would You Rather That is week. true. Now, what is an executive producer, you might be asking? Well, it's quite simple. You're a sponsor, a patron of this program. You make this program possible, this podcast. How do you become one? (laughs) Go over to patreon.com forward slash the guitar knobs. Check out a couple different levels in which you can participate. Each level comes with a great bevy of prize packages that are... T-shirts, and <laughs> all the stuff, all the goodies, Picks. lions and tigers. And and I just got a whole new shipment of t-shirts and <laughs> got new t-shirts. We got we got barefoot yep. buttons. We got we got all the goodies. good stuff. But as an executive producer, you get all that great stuff. But there's one more thing, Jared. What is that? You get to have your name read on the thing. That's right. <laughs> your name read on the thing. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do right now. So special thanks to these executive producers. Tom Barazin, Martin Cliff, John Daly, Chris Kearney, Darren Gregory, Doug Christ, Michael Van Zant, Ken Sayers, Brian Robison, Michael Senchuk, Stefan Lamb, Johnny Knowles, Anthony Lanthrop, John Anglin, uh, Tyler Bray, Brad Partridge, Chris Heidel, John Esterly, Doug Gann, Justin Jones, Brett Alexander, James White, Matt Hart, Bill Gola Guitars, Richard Kendall, Ty Harmon, John Jackson, <laughs> Jason Rausch, David Rando, Douglas King, Gary Cooper, Lumberjack Components, Mark Garten, Elad Mizrahi, Mike D., Trevor, er, <laughs> I'm going to screw this one up again. Trevor Gunberg and Clem Fandango. Oh, stop it. <laughs> yes, I hear you, Clem Fandango. <laughs> okay. Todd, yes. don't interrupt me. I'm sorry. Because in addition to these executive producers, yes. we have a special group of produce, executive producers. We like to call them our grand poobas. That's right. And what's even more exciting this week, we have a new grand pooba. Oh, bring it. These guys hang out on the penthouse suite. Yep. They wear a fez while listening to the podcast. Even more goodies. They have individual <laughs> hot tubs with a soak. Yes, that all individual. glow orange. They and all they, have LED orange lights in them. They drink orange Gatorade. Yep. So it all ties together. So special, special, special thanks to these grand poobas. Jonathan Jerusic, Corey Nagro, David Kaminga, Science of Sound, Cody Foster. Sean S. Tommy Manasco, Adam Johnson, Steve Keys, Tim Nowak, Tyler Rines, James Pennington, LSJ Music Company, John Williams, 
Johnny Morales, Mel Sanders, and welcome aboard Bob Crouch. Bob Crouch. Man, it's getting crowded up there at that yeah, penthouse suite. We, I don't Holy know if we'll be able to have enough, more of the hot tubs put in there. I don't. Man. I, I just don't know the weight limits. And I such. know. Uh, so thank you so much to our supporters. You truly make the show go around, and we are so grateful to you. Steve Stein, please tell uh, the audience where they can check you out. Uh, you can go on YouTube, but, uh, t- just type in Steve Stein guitar or just Steve Stein. You'll find me, or you can head over to guitarzoom.com and check out my guitar courses and the membership. Brilliant. Tony Baloney. Let's just say you need a special, uh, pick guard to go with your guitar courses. Mm-hmm. Go over to pickguardians.com. <laughs> See how I tied that in? Yeah. Isn't that cool? That good. <laughs> yeah. Pickguardian.com. Check out some of the stuff I have available for sale. But by and large, what I do is custom work. Your guitar needs some new bling. Blingy. Blingy. Yep. And Tony can do it. So shoot me an email at uh, yeah. info at pickguardian.com. You got to make one for the guitar that, Ch- that Chase is building me. Well, of course I will. Yeah. I always do. Awesome. Rob? Rob Chafe, uh, Mad Cow Amplification on Instagram, Facebook, or dot uh, com probably goes somewhere. So y'all check that out. Yeah, so that uh, ch- check out what what uh, amp repairs and and little crazy yep. things that he's finding in amps. I like it his is, I like his Instagram stuff. It's it is the electronic equivalent of on Instagram when when the guys are on the shores uh, in England with the little hammers and they're opening up. Like the rocks and the little fossils are in him. I thought you were going every single else with time. This. No, it's like I, it's it's a thing. Anyways, you can uh, email me Todd at the guitarnobs.com. You can also DM me at guitarnobs. We love hearing your thoughts, and uh, we look forward to your further correspondence. Steve Stein, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. Awesome, everybody. Make sure you go check out his amazing courses and get yourself better at guitar have a fantastic guitar week and subscribe uh, love a parade uh, <laughs> <laughs> like some smart fellows in the world i try to surround myself with smarter people than i am so <laughs> you are successful yeah what i'm not doing it this week Okay, you're not doing wow. it this week. Okay. We were just watching you, and uh, now you're talking to us, so that's, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, this is totally scripted. Which, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, get your tap shoes ready, because the rest of it, we're just, we put it on autopilot and walk away and go make some microwave popcorn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Steve, are you are you ready? Are you regretting any of this? But at any point? no, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> okay. Custom pick guards to the stars. The prince of plastic. <laughs> Steve Stein. Whenever you hear this, it's going to be great. Well, that's it for these knobs. Please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the guitar knobs visit our website at theguitarknobs.com for all of our past episodes four on the floor blog and other good stuff you can connect with us on social too at our facebook page and share your gear and stories on our facebook group also be sure to check out our instagram at guitar knobs catch you next time